This is Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, the 1st of October, 2021. And quite frankly, this music is uh, a lot happier than I feel. Welcome back to the Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. I'm Michael Wade. I'm digging that uh, that bass riff, man. That was badass. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I find all these uh, royalty free songs on YouTube, and then I can just you know bring up the every week. There's a, a different song, and if I am lazy or forget to do it, well, you know, I can always go and just play some of the old classics. So either way, we got music. By the way, I'm going to go ahead and start my video with you. You don't have to share your video with me, but uh, I turn it on anyway, just for the just for the hell of it. I don't know that you care to see me, but what's the point of having? I always a, like seeing you, Dale. What's the point of having a television studio in your office if you're not going to use it? I I noticed that we're not <laughs> in uh, the Millennium Falcon this week. Uh, actually, well, we've never been in the Millennium Falcon, uh, but uh, we are in the same spaceship that we're always in, except this time I happen to be in the armory because if you can look behind me, and unfortunately those of you who are listening cannot see, but if you look behind me, I have the uh, I have all of the uh, the assault rifles and shotguns and stuff that are in the armory for the Normandy on Mexico. I see that, John Wick. So, uh, where, where, what was the what was the spaceship last week then? Was that a Tie Fighter? No, or no, it was, it was an X Wing fighter. No, that was the Normandy. That was the Normandy. Yeah, I've, I've I, I have like fifty three different Mass Effect video loops. That well, I, I know you background. do, but I don't know what they all are. Yeah, they're all the Normandy. It's the only ship you get to fly, so it's it's the only one there is. <laughs> But it's a big ship. It has lots of has lots of places to to make pull up and do your podcast run. Exactly. <sighs> well, where uh, where to begin? Four, yeah, really. Four of uh, the world's major transport organizations, including companies, labor, everybody, just sent a meeting or sent a a joint letter to the UN today saying that with these COVID restrictions, the travel bans and all of the other things, uh, the global transportation system is getting so backed up that we are now in danger of a global supply chain collapse. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that they were timely with that, seeing as it's been happening for about the last two months or so. But yeah, uh, I mean, I doubt any of our listeners are surprised by this uh this is something that's been in the works and i can't remember if we brought it up uh on the show yeah we've talked about it a couple of times over the last year yeah okay i was gonna say i mean i i know we've talked about it i just don't remember if it's on the show um i I mean this is exactly what was predicted and i i there's no real surprise here uh it's just the results. I mean, how do you ameliorate this? Um, you, uh, you, if, point, if you don't have people there, if you don't have longshoremen there or whoever to unload the stuff, if you don't have people on the ships to unload stuff or load them up, um, wh- what are you going to do? Yeah, right now at the port of Long Beach, there are more than 60 container ships who are just sitting at anchor off of the California coast because they can't get into the port to unload. 
and the East Coast is seeing the same thing up in Long Island and off of uh, uh, Florida and Atlanta. Well, uh, Georgia. Atlanta is not on the coast, but um, four of the major, actually probably five, if you consider San Francisco as well, um, uh, of the major ports for influx. And these are the giant cargo ships. Um, you know, that unload these giant boxes uh, that, that go directly onto either tractor trailers or trains and get shipped throughout the country. And not just our country, they go to Mexico, they go to Canada, uh, they go all, all over North America. When you have that kind of backup, I mean, it's not surprising that prices rise. It's not surprising. I mean, and this is an in addition to monetary inflation, this is also going to be inflation based on, uh, you know, a, a, a bottleneck yeah. at the supply it, chain. It's demand-driven inflation, or alternatively, supply-driven inflation. Either way, whether you count it from the supply side or demand side, we're in a world of trouble at this point if we don't turn around immediately. And even if we do, I'm I'm not sure that we can avoid serious shortages over the next six months. Well, especially when you consider what those products are, you know, it's one thing if they're cars, right? Okay. So we have to wait, uh, an extra six months for a, a new car. All right. I mean, that's a pain, especially if you need a new car right now. Um, and the price of, uh, used cars is skyrocketing, but w w let's just talk about like paper goods. Or, you know, uh, your toilet paper, your uh, paper towels. Um, let's talk about uh, sustain, just mushrooms, uh, you know, tea. I mean, these are things that, you know, are they super important? No, but they are in high demand. Uh, tampons. I mean, something that we actually import a lot of, believe it or not. We don't make them right here. Um and then you're talking the raw goods, too, that we do make here. So, yeah, we're in a world of hurt if we can't. And it's not just us. It, this is worldwide. This is going on around the world because, well, frankly, the world's gone crazy with this uh, COVID hype nonsense. I fear that the American people don't really understand exactly how much we import and exactly what gets imported. And I think we're about to find out, especially as winter hits. Um, where do you think your food is going to come from? Right. Yeah. I mean, we basically killed California as a food source. Um, now we could change that almost overnight. I mean, almost overnight, it would still take months to ramp up, but we could definitely change that. But let's think about it so like ethanol subsidies right what does that require corn so where where does corn go if it you know if you want to get the best price for your corn what's well, going to go to ethanol it's not going to go to uh, uh livestock feed so that's your beef your pigs uh even your chicken um it, it's certainly not going to go to corn on the cob which we all love you're you're wasting all these resources because of government intervention. 
Yeah, well, my my advice to anybody at this point is stock up. Anything that you think you need, buy it now. Yeah, canned goods are going to... Here's a weird one. Bacon bits. Bacon bits seems like, you know, sort of a nothing thing. They've just got it, you know, everywhere, right? Haven't been able to find it for weeks. Bacon bits. And I finally found it, and it was $13 a pound. Wow. I got a little tiny bag. Uh, about six ounces for you know six seven bucks. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, bacon bits because you can't get the normal stuff and you can't get it transported. Toilet paper uh, that's been hard to come by. Uh, paper towels you can still sort of get, but and I'm just talking to my own local area here outside DC which you would think is probably better supplied than Peoria or Albuquerque. Well, I mean, you would think because that's where all of the, you know, politicians are. So you'd think they'd get their stuff before the, you know, everybody else got theirs. Right. And that is what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. (laughs) Well, it's going to be, you know, it it may be a, a very cruel winter this winter because if we have these supply chain problems through the winter then we're going to run out of uh, some food stuffs I believe and you know most cities only have three days of food anyway um, if they don't get those eight trucks per day uh, to each grocery store then those grocery stores run out of shit real quick well and that's the other thing is uh, you know Aside from, you know, all these ships waiting offshore to unload, they're having a real hard time finding truckers to uh, actually transport this stuff. Um, I mean, train is an option, but that only gets you so far. You need to get it to the end point. And that means at the very least, you have to have local truckers who are, have CDL licenses and you know, can maneuver. I mean, think about going to Chicago and unloading at the train yard and then trying to take that stuff through the cities of Chicago to restaurants and grocery stores. I mean, and you're in a big giant semi truck. You've got to have some serious skill to maneuver uh, uh, through the city around those corners, um, you know, backing that truck up into the bay. I mean, you need to have some skill to do that. And, they don't have the people. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at all of the stuff that are happening and we haven't even talked about, you know, any of the, the COVID stuff that has come out for you know, the past week or, or at some point. And I am always the first to, you know, talk about how incompetent the federal government is at doing just about anything. And usually all levels of government are, are fairly incompetent at doing anything but the, the simplest of tasks. But at some point, you have to start wondering if we're looking at incompetence or we're looking at malevolence. Yeah, well, we talked about this back during the Obama years, right? Well, he's bungling. Well, is he? I mean, what's his actual end goal? And that's what you have to start wondering about. What is the end goal? I mean, what is the actual purpose here? And if the purpose is to undermine America 
as a leader in the world, as a self-sufficient economic entity, um, I don't think they're bungling. I think they're doing a quite successful job. Well, the thing is, it's not just America, though. Well, I mean, that's right. It, it it's really now is worldwide. the entire Western world. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, America has always been a little bit different just because we set things up differently. Um, but it, it is true that as far as economics go on, on the broad spectrum, um, Europe, Australia, Hong Kong, even Japan, um, India, uh, South Africa to a certain degree. Uh, yeah, we've all, and even a, a good part of, of uh, at least Eastern um, South America, uh, we've all kind of been on the same, you know, wavelength as far as how do you keep an economy running? Um, that doesn't mean we've used the same methods or followed the same policies, but for the most part, we've, we've been simpatico. Uh, that's falling apart. I mean, Australia right now is just gone crazy. Um, you know, South America is, is not doing well either. Although a lot of that is almost self-sabotage. Bolsonaro has not been particularly (laughs) good for Brazil. Um, but I mean, getting to your point, though, I mean, this is a worldwide problem. And, you know, you said we didn't talk about it, but it really does come down to the, uh, I guess, affinity for these shutdowns and, uh, you know, absolute uh, monarchical uh, impetuses to control everybody's lives i mean look at australia they had two cases of covid and locked down melbourne and sydney the two most populous cities in australia yeah their goal of zero covid they're not backing off from that um and you know the the various premiers of all the the various states in australia are uh, especially well you know the 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 woman in New South Wales who was for, who was forced to resign today. Um, she did resign. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> she did resign because of a corruption probe. Uh, that's 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 never good news. Um, you know her. I mean, so draconian. And look, we're 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 probably about eight months behind, but we're following the same path here. This demand for mandates uh, uh, out here in California, for example, the governor said he wants every child. K through 12 to be vaccinated. Uh, So he's going to force vaccinations on every child in California as soon as it's possible to do so. He is not, I note, mandating vaccines for teachers. And so when you see that, okay, you can make students get it, but you can't make teachers get it. Or at least you decline to make teachers get it. Then I have to begin to assume that there is a reason for that. Uh, and it's not because you're so terrified of COVID. Uh, and it's not because you're so terrified for the children. Uh, and many of these, you know, COVID restrictions that we see that they put on, you know, the, the rubes and hayseeds seem not to apply to them and their favored groups.
Yeah, well, I think that's the biggest. And then tell uh, me it's indicator. about the science. Right. Well, I mean, what's the old saw over there in Instapundent? You know, don't complain to me about your about uh, somebody else's uh, climate change um, footprint or whatever. Uh, if you're not going to follow it yourself, I mean, th- this has been crisis. the hypocrisy. I believe it's a crisis when they start acting like it's a crisis. Right. And they don't, you know, and we have so many examples uh, and, you know, they explain their way out of it or, well, they try to, but I mean, people aren't buying it and they shouldn't, you know, one of my best friends is, uh, is Australian. Uh, by birth. He's actually now a naturalized citizen, although he retained his Australian citizenship. Uh, <laughs> and he started getting mad at me. He's like, what the fuck did I do to become an American citizen? And then Biden gets elected and now, you know, everything's going to hell. And I'm just like, sucker. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, at least here he has slightly more freedom than he would have back in Australia at the moment. Oh, well, that's what I've been telling him. And he's like, yeah, it absolutely sucks back there. And by the way, <laughs> I saw I saw a, a, a poll today. 36% of Americans uh, are basically strongly in favor of uh, a vac- a universal vaccine mandates. How many of them are named Karen? Yeah, well, probably all of them. Um, but that's a big number of people who just, and, and there's another 20% who are just willing to go along to get along. Yeah. And I think it's that apathy that bothers me the most. And, well, and we're seeing it play like Australia. I mean, I mean, I don't know how other Americans I've always considered them basically America South or Southern hemisphere. Um, I mean, they're sort of irascible. They don't put up with a lot and they're perfectly willing to go and exercise their freedoms. Now they don't have uh, the same sort of guaranteed freedoms that uh, Americans do. Matter of fact, um, the, the one freedom that we have that nobody else in the entire world has is first amendment speech. That first amendment is very unique throughout the world. Uh, you don't have that anywhere else. You have some play at it in, in you know, the Anglosphere, but it's not the same. It's not guaranteed like it is here. Yeah. At the same time, well, I, I don't. I'm not sure how guaranteed it is here anymore. Well, they're certainly trying to chip it away at it, aren't they? You know, and what really bothers me, and it, I, I can't believe that it's not already in the federal court system is the federal government yelling and screaming at Google and Facebook and stuff to, uh, you know, misinformation. That's the perfect one, this COVID misinformation. I mean, YouTube announced this week that they are going to be banning any uh, videos that talk about vaccination that don't simply parrot what the government's uh, desired line of argument is. So anything else is just classified as misinformation, and they're automatically going to move it. Now, did Google come up with this by themselves, or is this a a response to the federal government cracking down on them and saying, hey, you've got to crack down on this misinformation? We're seeing a lot of these 
incidences where private companies are now starting to do things that the federal government is forbidden from doing, but they certainly appear to be doing it at the behest of the federal government. Indeed, we talked about this a couple of months ago when Jim Psaki at that press conference talked about yep. how, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to Facebook and highlighting these these bad things that people are saying. Uh, this is just flatly illegal, and they're doing it anyway, and as far as I can tell, they're getting away with it. Uh, they are getting away with it, and it is a very legal gray area. I mean, and, and that's the biggest problem. Uh, I've heard a lot of people bring up antitrust as the sword, uh, you know, to take into this battle, but I don't think it fits, unfortunately. And I mean, I'm not a big fan of antitrust laws, uh, you know, to begin with, but if it were useful in, protecting uh consumer rights uh, yeah i mean i i would be down with it it's really not and matter of fact the history of antitrust law alone shows yeah, that it's not it's competitors yeah, that, yeah, that yeah we worry about competitors not the public right so i mean we we would need some sort of new laws uh, i know that uh so uh section 230 of the uh was the the Communications and Decency Act? Is that the correct one? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, Actually, I mean, yeah, it is that one. Yeah, and, and so like that's where you know whether you're a common carrier or not that that sort of stuff. I mean, I think that sort of approaches it, but it's and 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 it's difficult because you don't want to shut down independent voices. Um, but at the same time, you do want to give, uh, some leeway to those who project these voice, or at least allow these voices to be projected, uh, to shut down things like, you know, uh, porno or whatever else. Um, and that, I guess, and that's the problem. How do you define whatever else? And unfortunately, we have to leave it up to the government to define that. And that's where it becomes problematic. Uh, it, it's an obvious problem that does not have an obvious solution. Uh, yeah, but, but one problem that does have an obvious solution is the government encouraging these private companies to do what the government wants and the government imposing speech restrictions via proxies. That Well, that's that an obvious problem. Solve. Absolutely. But how do you tie that? Look, if, if you could tie that directly, if you could say um, that X actor uh, acted specifically because of a command or a perceived command from the federal government, yes, I, I think that's prosecutable. But that's really that's a really really hard case to make because let's face it. These these companies they do it willingly. They're they don't have to be coerced. They are perfectly happy to jump on board. I mean, you've got to go. I, I don't know what the angle is. Whether they're getting tax breaks, um, and again, you then you're getting into scary areas. Um, legally, it's it's just it's fraught with so many trap doors. Uh, and, and by the way, we certainly can't defend on the government to self-regulate. And even if the government had the best of all possible intentions, 
they're too stupid to figure out what needs to be regulated and what doesn't. Um, the, That's right. The, this week, uh, one of the Facebook uh, executives, I don't remember her name, was testifying in front of the Senate. And Richard Blumenthal said, will you commit right now to ending Finsta? Now, Finsta <laughs> is a slang for having a fake Instagram account. Kids a lot of times do it so that they just have just their closest friends involved in there, and they can have a little more privacy, and it's not as public. So there's there's no product or service called Finsta. And she even tried to explain this to Richard Blumenthal, but perhaps because of his horrific Vietnam experience, his PTSD kicked in, <laughs> and he couldn't. He, he just simply couldn't understand, and he just kept demanding, she has to end Finsta. And she kept telling him, Finsta is not a product or service that we have. It's a it's a slang term. We have no control over that. That he wouldn't listen. He was he was he was determined that Finsta be abolished. Yeah, it, I'm I'm shocked that Denang Dick couldn't get his ducks in a row. <laughs> and so I, you know, I I, I well, thought, and that's I, the problem, right? I mean, that's actually a good crystallization of the problem is that the people who are in charge of you know overseeing these sorts of things have no idea what it is they're even looking at yeah and and they're they're so arrogant that they won't even consider that they don't know what they don't know well and then so the the common solution then is well then we'll push it down to these experts at our agencies to control and regulate them okay well that's how you get industry capture because what happens you go from the industry into the regulatory and from the regulatory into the industry. And then who makes up the rules? Oh yeah. It's all those people who are back and forth between uh, both worlds and have the most influence. Well, they make the, the rules to regulate themselves, which in turn just so happens uh, keeps competitors out of the race in much the same way that goldman sachs executives serve briefly as secretaries of the treasury right <laughs> that is kind of funny goldman sachs has uh, a known record i mean this is documented this isn't this isn't a slight this isn't a um you know conjecture this is absolutely known on the record that they have cheated their investors out of billions of dollars. Not one Goldman Sachs uh, officer, um, board member, president, uh, any uh, nobody has gone to jail or been brought up on charges for basically taking their clients' money that they weren't allowed to take and using it to shore up different parts, uh, which are supposed to be separate. Remember, <laughs> this is Glass-Steagall, right? That they're supposed to be separate. Uh, nobody. In fact, they get elected governors of New Jersey and or, get appointed to uh, the, the, the Fed and get appointed to the SEC and get appointed to all these comfy positions that are in charge of financial uh, you know, regulatory regimes. Well, I, I would point out that there is an excellent possibility that your next governor will be Terry McAuliffe, who should have gone to prison for many years for the global crossing fiasco. 
That's right. Yeah, which you want to talk about investors his name getting ripped is off. never attached to that. Yeah, I mean, you can Google it. Go ahead and Google it. Go- Google Terry McAuliffe, uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe, and Global Crossing. And if you Google it, I mean, you're going to have to go to probably page ten or twelve before you find anything. And then I'm sure, I'm guaranteeing you, there's going to be some sort of uh, pejorative uh, warning uh, against whatever source comes up with something that connects the two. Yeah. If you even find anything. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And he just gets to carry on with his life while, you know, billions and billions of dollars of investors' money just went up in a puff of smoke. I look at Paul Krugman. Wasn't he uh, an advisor to Enron? He was indeed. Yep. And he still got a comfy gig at uh, New York Times disparaging capitalism. This is a guy that won the Nobel Prize for the very things that he now says don't work. Yeah, that I just I just don't get. Every column he writes is a repudiation of his own Nobel Prize. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the shame of it is Paul Krugman is really quite brilliant. Um, he, he actually does know economics, and he has sold that out because he thinks, and this is the, 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 the problem with uh, the hubris of the experts, is that, well, if I play my cards right and I just and play the card jester, uh, the court jester, then, you know, I can be in charge of this stuff and I can manipulate all this stuff and, and make it work. I mean, this is the Keynesian dream. The idea that, well, if we put experts in there, well, we can make happen whatever we want because we have the knowledge and we know it all it's as the, opposed it's to the Austrian, the, you the know. technocratic fallacy. Right. Exactly. Whereas the Austrians are like, well, we can't ever know it all. It's not possible to know <laughs> That's it all. the whole problem. It's not possible to run a technocratic society. The Soviets tried it for 70 years and they just ended up collapsing. But by God, we're, we're going to do it again. And that's what we're doing with this whole COVID thing. Um, and I have long since gotten past the point that, that politicians are afraid of COVID to the, po- to the fact that they're just afraid of not being in control. And, oh, yeah. And that's you know one of the things that I, I found very interesting. Uh, by the way, just as an aside, I noticed that Merck, the company that held the patent for ivermectin in the United States, and told us a couple of months ago that ivermectin is completely useless for COVID. Uh, we don't recommend its use at all. Um, I did notice that today they announced that, oh, by the way, we have an antiviral pill that you can take. Now, it's, it's not ivermectin. It is a different mechanism of action. But it's interesting because, you know, three months ago, they must have known that they had this pill. Um, and why would you push ivermectin if you have something coming out? Uh, mol, mol, molnoprovir or molnoprovir, whatever they're calling it. Um, well, why would you want people to use a cheap drug that you can't make any money off of because the patent is no longer active? It's genericized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, there's all these little things that keep going on. And, you know, it, it just makes me, it makes me start to think that we are being hoodwinked by the people in control because they just don't want to give up control. Um, 
you know, the state of New York fired uh, many nurses and, and doctors, well, hospital workers. Oh, by the way, I'm getting some horrible feedback on, on your end, by the way. But uh, all these doctors and nurses and hospital workers, they've all been fired. I believe it was almost 600 of them. Uh, American Airlines firing everybody. They're not getting vaccinated. We're having these vaccine mandates. I saw uh, a uh, health system is now requiring that the spouses of their employees also be vaccinated or they're either not going to cover any illness or you're going to have to pay a fee every month to an, a surcharge to keep their health insurance for your dependents. And again, this is just the government. And let's just be clear here. This is a great example of what happens when government takes over your health care. You want single payer? Okay. Well, this is what's going to happen. That means that no matter what you do, do you smoke? Do you eat too much meat? Uh, do you not get a healthy, balanced diet according to uh, the government pyramid of food? Well, you know, you, you may not uh, have a job. You may not be able to get health insurance. You may not be able to visit the hospital. I mean, th this is, I, I mean, England or England, uh, the UK has actually experienced this uh, and they had to fight back against it uh, because once you have the government in totally in control of your uh, medical services and they now have control over your access to those services and they have control over uh, your behavior uh, in order to get access to those services. Well, I, with all of the things that are going on, which really has been kicked into high gear by COVID, exacerbated by the fact that, that the Biden administration is literally incompetent at everything and manages to ruin everything it touches. I'm awfully afraid we're headed towards an inflection point sooner rather than later. Uh, yeah. Now, I will say this on a hopeful point that the um, Fifth Amendment, or not Fifth Amendment, uh, Article 5 um, Constitutional Convention uh, is starting to pick up steam. I think there are 16 states, and what does it take, like 34, 38, yeah, something like that? Yeah, three quarters of the states. Uh, to uh, force a constitutional convention. Um, and right now they, they've focused on three main things. One's like some sort of balanced budget amendment. Another is uh, uh, basically limiting the federal government explicitly in what they can and cannot be involved in, uh, which would include among things like education, um, uh, your medical care, that sort of stuff. Uh, and I can't remember what the third one is, but it's basically a three-pronged approach. And it's starting to gain steam. I mean, you know, it's only 16 states right now. I think there's 
a 17th on the way and there's like 10 other states that are considering it um and i think there's something like 30 30 republican controlled uh completely controlled legislatures and this is a a legislature only thing it, it doesn't involve the governors um so i don't know if if i'm being hopeful i would hope that that would be where we go the next hopeful step is that well we just end the united states and each state is its own sovereign country which is where we started essentially and then we can recombine and do whatever we want i mean i I don't imagine that would be an easy thing especially with the amount of debt that we hold as the united states uh but i'm i'm looking for anything that doesn't involve some sort of civil war yeah i'm really looking for an exit off of that path but that looks like the path that we're on just the number of people who are now talking about starting to fight back well it's 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 starting to get scary and by the way well, and, and if, that's if, right if, because if, it's going to be the yahoos are going to do it if the supply chain collapses and people are starting to go hungry um it's not going to be a 1930s depression we're all in this together thing not now not oh, now. no we're not that country anymore no and, and let's face it who's going to go hungry it's going to be the coasts it's, it's it's not going to be Iowa. <laughs> it's not going to be it's not going to be uh, Texas. Uh, you know, it's not going to be out in the middle of the country where food is actually still grown. It's going to be the places where they don't even know where the food comes from. It comes from the supermarket, which, by the way, I've had people tell me, like like the supermarket, <laughs> what they magically create food in the back. Yeah, they got a factory somewhere and they just make it. <laughs> I mean, that's great if you're going to survive off ding-dongs and Twinkies. But... Right, sure actually, that shit doesn't even come from here. That comes from Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until we get Star Trek replicators, food is going to be a problem. And if you live in a city, you have three days of food. I Once mean, it's at gone, best, yeah. It's gone. Yep. And so this is this is all starting to get scary, and it's it's scarier, and it's happening faster than I thought it was going to happen. Look, if you'd have told me a year ago that we'd all be still working from home and wearing masks, um, if you'd have told me, asked me in March, are we going to be doing that in in you know August of twenty twenty? I'd have said no way. We're going to have this. People are going to get sick. We're going to get over it, and we're going to have to go about our lives because we can't just shut everything down for two years well i guess i was wrong we're gonna try i mean i i think you nailed it on the head earlier in that it it isn't about uh keeping people safe that's just you know that's just uh uh, an excuse it's the power uh these local magistrates and uh, federal government and state governments, they have realized, wow, we have a lot of power if we can scare them into thinking that they might die if we don't control everybody. And there are, unfortunately, a huge number of sheep who 
are willing to go along with that. Well, we got to stay safe. I mean, we have to stay, do it for the children who aren't affected at all by <laughs> this shit. Well, that's the whole thing. This whole, we're going to put all of our children in masks. We're going to vaccinate them all. You have a better chance of surviving COVID if you're an unvaccinated child than you do if you're a vaccinated adult. And now we're being told that, well, these vaccines, they're safe and they're effective, but you're still at threat from the unvaccinated. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be needing a booster every six months or so. Yeah, well, and that's when I promise you we're running for the hills. If they try to make us give my daughter, my 10-year-old daughter, uh, a vaccine that I don't know what it's going to do to her. And the thing is, I, I, it's not that I'm against vaccines. I mean, I've got it. I, I've taken the vaccine and I'm fine. Uh, I was probably fine anyway, but fine. You know, I, I didn't mind getting the vaccine, but I'm not giving it to my daughter. I don't know what the hell it's going to do to her. My, my uh, 16 year old, almost 16 year old son, uh, I'm not going to, they are both better off getting the virus having no complications whatsoever because neither of, uh, of them are in any kind of risk category, then, you know, they get over it and they'll be fine. Here's and the thing, matter of fact, a, they'll be more than fine. Just an interesting aside. If you catch measles, you don't have to, if your kid catches measles, you don't have to get them a measles vaccine. That's exactly right. Ever. But if and you the catch thing about COVID, the measles vaccine but if you catch is that COVID, it lasts you well, the measles vaccine lasts you for pretty much all your life. Yeah, and so does catching measles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is much more like a flu vaccine. Are we going to have to get it every year? Are we going to have to get it three times every year? I mean, I, look, I, I believe these vaccines, the vaccines are, are pretty safe. Um, just because we've had a worldwide uh, experiment going on as to, I mean, literally that's what it is. We've had a worldwide test going on as to the efficacy and um, safety of these vaccines. And for the most part, they do seem to be pretty safe. Now in younger kids, especially boys, there are some issues still low. Uh, uh, still not a major concern, but there is some indication that, um, especially teenage boys, uh, will develop heart problems from the vaccine alone. Um, and, and again, it, it's a small uh, proportion. Well, but here's the it's thing: there. we're told it's a small proportion. We're told these sure. things are yeah, safe. Okay, yeah. However. All right. Okay. Where, where's the reliable? <laughs> yeah. Where's the reliable data on that? Because it's not coming out from the CDC. They are so reticent to come out with reliable numbers, and the numbers they do come out with, mm, there seems to be some fudging. And we keep hearing these stories about how hospitals are fudging things. Uh, not just here in the United States, but all over the world. Uh, I believe in in the province of Alberta in Canada, anyone who stays home from work as sick is counted as a COVID case. Right. Okay. So mm, that makes me wonder about a lot of the numbers we're getting. And if you look at VAERS, which we are told is, is you know, self-reporting, it's not really reliable. We just look at it for, you know, early indications of things that are going wrong. 
Um, there are now, what, 20,000 death reports in bears, which we are told also underestimates by about a factor of 10 the number of actual adverse effects that we might expect. Um, okay, fine. What are the actual numbers? What are we? Well, we also know that we, we have it on video that they're not reporting all the numbers. Yeah. So we, we, we really have no reliable data on any of this stuff. And you know what you, you the, what you mentioned there that it's worldwide. That to me is the scariest problem. Is this isn't uh, you know a national thing? This this isn't a Democrat versus Republican. The, the, I mean, it may be political in the very 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 broadest sense, but it, it is uh, international. It's worldwide. We have a serious problem with our international institutions that are supposed to be, you know, above board and above politics and above nationality and all that stuff. And they are proving themselves to not even be close to that. And this is where we get all our information. Yeah. Hey, and, who do you trust? And you, you how talk do you about, trust anybody? You talk about regulatory capture. You know, how yeah. independent is the FDA from Pfizer and Merck and Bayer and GlaxoSmithKline? I'd really be interested in wondering, uh, in, in finding that out, because my assumption is that every, at this point, my assumption is that every institution has been captured or is just deeply corrupt. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So, uh, like BLM marching with uh, the anti-vaxxers you know, up in New York City, you know, the the I don't want to call them paranoids, but at least the 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 deeply skeptical are starting to form ranks and saying, you know what, maybe we have a more in common than we thought we did. You know, it is also no coincidence, as our Soviet friends used to like to say that some of the more interesting and reasonable anti-COVID vaccine commentary of the last couple of days has been coming from the largely African-American National Basketball Association players. Oh, yeah, that guy, um, what's his name? Johnny Isaacson gave one of the most cogent... Among others, by the way. He wasn't the only one. He was not the only one, but he was the one I saw, or not saw, I heard. Uh, and it was a reasonable, well thought out, cogent, and I thought uh, quite persuasive argument as to why he should not be subject to these things because he's had it. Everything he's researched, and he brought this up. He's like, I, look, I looked at it, talked to my doctor about it. Um, I supposedly have a much better chance of withstanding a second round or, you know, getting affecting again or whatever, um, much less spreading it than people who get the vaccine. So I don't understand why I need to get the vaccine. And, you know, I'll leave it up to you. You, you do you, but I'm doing me and me says, I've looked at this stuff and I don't need it. And I, but try to get I, the I, FDA I to address, but try to get the FDA to address the studies that are coming out on natural immunity. Their position they won't. Is, their position is it doesn't matter if you've had COVID or not. You have to get the vaccine. 
Yeah, they they, they do, and it's like, what the fuck are vaccines again? <laughs> Isn't the whole point of vaccines? So the antibodies, to... so the antibodies I get from the real virus right. are better than the antibodies are are, are worse and, and ineffective compared to the antibodies I get from the fake virus. Right. Okay. Like, I mean, Rand Paul has been all over this, and. It, it, this is everything we have known about vaccines since they were invented is the, the it's a mimic, you know, it's a, a, a chimera. It, it is not the real thing. And so it does help protect you, but it doesn't have the same effect as if you get it and survive. And the whole point to getting the vaccine is, well, you may not survive. So if you at least get the vaccine, you don't have to worry about getting it and then worrying about surviving. But if you've that already had it, if you've already had smallpox, I, I feel sorry for you. But if you had smallpox and you lived, a smallpox vaccine is not going to do you a lot of good. And you're not going to spread it. Much like measles. Exactly. Or mumps or rubella or any other things that we get vaccinated against. And again, those vaccinations work. We don't have to now. Uh, there are some, you know, like chickenpox, right? Um, now I actually had chickenpox. I don't think I ever got vaccinated against it. I, I had it yeah, I had when it I was too. little, and so they're telling me now that I should get the vaccine again, or well, I guess really for the first time to prevent shingles. Um, which I'm very interested in doing because I don't want shingles. I've known people who have had shingles and oh my God, I, I don't want to go through that. It looks awful. Uh, I mean, it's not going to kill you. I mean, I guess it could, but, but it will make you know, wish you were dead. Oh yeah. Uh, from what I've seen. Yeah. It's horrible. So I'm very interested in getting it, but I also kind of want to know, wait, but I had the real thing. Do I need to get that? It, I mean, I don't know. I mean, and again, I don't know. I know that like T cells and B cells like are the most important things here, but you know, I'm already straying way beyond my knowledge of how these things yeah. work. But the people that we depend on for reliable information seem entirely unwilling to give it to us. And then they well, tell they us and, and they tell us it. things that we know are false. Again, I go back to Dr. Fauci and his, no, you don't ever need to wear a mask. Never, never, never. And then two months later, he came out and said, oh, yeah, I was lying. Because if, if I'd have told you to get masks, you'd all got them. Yeah. And then later on, he was like, okay. you know what? You really should wear two masks. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me that you're concerned about my health when I've already caught you in a lie. And, of course, we've caught Dr. Fauci in more than that. Dr. Fauci, of course, is still denying that he was ever involved in any gain-of-function research um, and funneling money to third parties who would engage the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He said, oh, it just never happened. Well, but we know that it happened. We have the documentation. We have the funding letters. And he's still denying it. And now he, I'm going to listen to that guy or any of these other people in the FDA, all of whom have been charitably mistaken in many of their in many of their statements uh, and then going back and saying something different later. Every institution we have, 
every institution we have is corrupt. I, I have a lot more respect for them if they would have come out and said, look, this is a brand new virus. We don't know much about it. It's never been seen in humans before. We're going to have to work through this shit just like you are. So everything that we say has to be taken with a grain of salt. We may be wrong. And that's not what they've done. And I, I have no trust in Well, And the ones who did come out and say that were shut down immediately. You know, uh, who was it? Scott Gottlieb. And uh, who was the other one? Um, that, that guy, that, that scientist um, who was, I, I guess he was part of the Trump administration, sort of. I don't know. But he, he was shut down completely. Uh, I mean, you, you can't even, you can't find a YouTube video of him because he was saying the wrong things and they were all saying all these ones who have been shut down were saying, you know what, this is an, it's called a novel coronavirus for a reason. We don't know. And we're working through this uh, as quickly as we can. And, you know, we're going to get some things right. We're going to get something wrong. Uh, this seems to be wrong. Um, this seems to be on the path to right. And they weren't allowed to have their voices heard. And still aren't. Yeah, you can't dissent now. Dissent gets you canceled. So did the Soviets win or what? I mean, like, <laughs> I'm having a hard time figuring this out. I thought that uh, we defeated the Soviets back in, in in the 90s, and it doesn't seem like they lost. Yeah, well, I just don't... Uh... I just don't get how how easily the American people have just decided to knuckle under, be sheep, obey, and not question the authorities. Yeah, well, when... And, and when they're being lied to, and it, it becomes obvious they're being lied to, they just throw it in the memory hole and say, well, I trust you now. Clearly, you had a good reason for They're being told what they want to hear. Look, there are far too many people in this country and actually around the world who want to be told, we got it, we're taking care of it. And you don't have to worry your pretty little head about it. And they are perfectly willing to just give it because they don't want to think about it. They They can't understand it. And they just want to believe that somebody is looking out for them. I mean, that's a shame and it's, uh, it challenges everything. I think about the human quest for freedom. (laughs) Um, but I mean, I think that's reality is that there are far too many people who would much rather just be, you know, they'll submit to whatever and be taken care of, even if uh, they may have doubts about, you know, whether or not they're really being taken care of. And I I mean, I I don't know what you do with people like that. I don't. Neither do I, but I, 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 I am just out of faith in any institution that we have. I don't trust any of the information they're telling us. 
and look, even if even if it's true, I how do I know that what they're telling us is true? Well, and that's I mean, and that's what it's gotten to, right? I mean, and look, this whole thing with vaccinating kids, the CDC says that the chance of a kid having a serious side effect from the vaccine is about one in one sixty seven or zero point six percent. Okay, yeah, but, yeah, but the IFR for a kid who catches COVID is 0.002%. Exactly. So why so any rational hell? human being is like, well, if I cost benefit this, uh, you're yeah, going to harm more kids than you're going to save by making them take right. the vaccine. And, and which is exactly why, you know, my next podcast may be from a satellite phone up in the hills because if they try to force that on my kids, I'm not doing it. My older kid, he's 18. Um, he got the vaccine, uh, and you know, whatever, fine. It's his choice. Uh, and he was reluctant, but whatever. I mean, he's old enough. Hasn't had any complications. He's fine. I would expect that for the most part, my kids would be fine. But I also know that they would be better off getting infected than having to submit to the vaccine. Yeah, well, that's just and, crazy talk. <laughs> right. And, and here's the thing is they get it once. They get COVID once. How many shots is it going to take for any sort of normalcy to happen, you know, with respect to the vaccine, how many times did they have to get vaccinated? I mean, th this is looking more and more like a, 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 a flu vaccine, which I'm not against, but then let's treat it like the flu. We don't lock down schools and work and uh, businesses because of the flu. It's just sort of accepted. And something like 80,000 people a year die in America alone with a vaccine. When we have vaccines for this. Well, there's also the, the long-term effect. And we have no way of knowing whether this will happen or not. But at least on a prudential basis, we I don't know that anybody ever even thought about it. And anybody who brought it up was immediately ridiculed. Um the idea that, look, you have a vaccine for a virus that already has variants in the wild. And if you start making a vaccine that's tailored to one variant, and by the way, the Pfizer, the Moderna, the AstraZeneca, they're all tailored towards the alpha variant. That's right. That's exactly right. And if you come along and get a variant that is vaccine resistant, then what's going to happen is those vaccines are going to be useless. And in fact, it may be harmful uh, because that vaccine will just uh, allow, will not recognize the virus anymore, will allow COVID to come in. And if it's a worse form of COVID, you're just going to kill millions of people and that vaccine is going to be useless. And if you're going to do a mass vaccination, when you already know that you have variants in the wild, you are putting evolutionary pressure on that virus to mutate into something god-awful uh, so that it can escape the vaccine. That, well, that's right. And and the more you lock down and isolate people, the more variants you're going to get. 
you know, th- this is the part that, and I'm surprised the epidemiologists, well, they're probably being silenced because I am quite sure the epidemiologists know this because that's why I learned it from. If you isolate uh, the, the, the one variant, well, it's going to mutate. It has more time to mutate because it's being isolated. So you're, you're instead of letting it burn itself out, which we saw in Sweden, Sweden did basically nothing. They had a few restrictions, but really not much. Um, they just powered through it. They had a big spike. They had a mini spike. And then now they have nothing. And that's because they let it run its course. Well, if you let it run its course, then the variants don't develop. If you retard the the course, then the variants have time to develop. You give them time and give them time to develop in isolated communities. And then spread and become, and then create more mutants. Now, I mean... I mean, we also you know, know a rational science. policy, a rational policy would have been if we had the vaccine <laughs> to just give it to people who had high risk. So give it to the elderly, give it exactly. to people with comorbidities and let everybody else take their chances. Right. That's exactly right. Because that's Look, the way that's the way out of this. The way- and it, it reduces the evolutionary pressure on that virus to mutate. If we had gone back to the way our parents dealt with it, with, you know, uh, measles parties, uh, you know, chicken pox parties, mumps parties, where everybody got it and you got it over with, especially when they were young and healthy. You, you got a lot of your, I mean, it sucked for a couple weeks, but you got, you, you got it, you got through it and people survived. A lot more people survived than would have otherwise. And so we didn't get the mutations. So when you isolate people, you're going to get the mutations. Those mutations are now going to spread somehow or another. And here's the thing that really gets me. I've got a vaccine. I'm just as capable of spreading, even though I'm I'm not going to develop symptoms because I'm vaccinated, but I'm just as capable of spreading COVID variant, whatever, as somebody who's unvaccinated. Well, I was reliably informed by the medical establishment that asymptomatic cases could not spread COVID. Well, that would make sense, except... Except it's wrong. Well, I mean, that that's not what the empirical evidence shows us. And it makes no difference if you're unvaccinated or vaccinated. So... Why are we hounding on the people who are unvaccinated? I mean, right now we're something like 76% vaccinated in this country. Well, that's well beyond. If you count one shot, it's 76%. If you count both shots, it drops down to 50-ish. But it's still well beyond herd uh, immunity. I mean, I think it's the normal... And again, I'm I'm doing this off memory, and my memory probably isn't very good when it comes to and this. But we're not. I thought it was like, or, or yeah, exactly right. So I thought it was something like uh, 35, 45 percent or so 
had to be fully vaccinated. And then you, when you add on top, those have already been infect, infected. Um, it, it comes out to something like, you know, 70 some percent and you've got herd immunity. Um, there are going to be stray cases. Yes. Uh, but for the most part, you're, you're golden. I, I, and I, I'm, I, the numbers are probably wrong that I'm saying, but I, I know it's something in those ranges. Uh, so if we're 76%, even first shot, uh, and we're 50 something percent, uh, you know, fully vaccinated plus, you know, it, it, I, I think it's something like 80 million, hundred million who have had the COVID. Correct. And have survived it. I mean, we should be well inside her immunity at this point, but we keep hearing, well, we, they got a case. We heard it today, uh, with, with, uh, uh what's his face? Kavanaugh, justice Kavanaugh. Well, he's got the COVID. Well, he tested positive for it. He has no symptoms. He's not sick. He doesn't need any hospitalization or medicine or anything. A, why is this news? B, has it occurred to anybody that's a false positive? Because we just saw that on The View, right? The, the, the two chicks who were pulled off The View, who uh, well, you, you have a positive test, and it turned out they were false positives. Yeah, uh, uh, right before their interview with uh, the vice president. With Kamala Harris. <laughs> Jesus. Is there a more useless person on this planet than Kamala Harris? Oh, she is planning her 2024 run, my friend. Oh, yeah. And I, I saw a thing today. As Biden's poll numbers fall, Harris's rise. <laughs> I saw that, too. I was like, okay. wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> That's an oh, interesting okay. way to put they're both in the tank. <laughs> Well, let's get off of COVID. Let's go ahead and talk uh, a little politics because I've been hugely amused by what's been going on in Congress with both the reconciliation bill and uh, the infrastructure bill, neither one of which looks set to pass. Um, Nancy Pelosi said she was going to get it done this week and did not. She's got 200 votes in the House. They got 48 votes in the Senate. Uh, the most amusing part of this week was the interview with Kristen Cinema when a reporter asked her, uh, what do you say to your colleagues who, wondering, who are wondering where you are? I'm in the Senate. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> what, what do you say to, to your progressive colleagues who are wondering where you are? I'm clearly here in front of the elevator. <laughs> you know, I, I've been, I, so I follow her on Twitter. And I've been liking her more and more. Now, I don't for a second believe, kind of like with Tulsi Gabbard. Um, I, I really like her. And, well, and Tulsi's quite hot. But uh, I, I, I like that they buck the system. And they don't, you know, they kind of follow their own drummer. I, I don't necessarily uh, follow the same drummer. But... I do like that they, you know, they're not afraid to say, you know what? I, I no, this isn't what my constituents want, and I don't really feel pressured. 
Yeah, and by the way, go against my constituents. And, and don't get all upset at Joe Manchin for his position as he runs for re-election in his R plus thirty six state. Right. <laughs> and, the and, fact that that man is still a Democrat and getting elected, you know, <laughs> maybe you should be looking at him. <laughs> well, here's the, the the funny thing that came out today was. Uh, was everybody's favorite communist, Bernie Sanders, who came out today and said, I, I can't believe that two senators uh, can uh, can avert the will of 48 senators and 210 members of the House of Representatives. Okay, well, I'm doing the math, and there's actually 100 senators. Um, uh-huh. So if you have, what you're telling me is you got 48 votes in the Senate, and you got 210 votes in the House, you're telling me that you don't have a majority. Right. And you're complaining yeah, it's that... it's 52 uh, senators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're complaining that we're not uh, letting the, the the minority get their will, and not and, and if the majority wins, it's somehow a, a betrayal of democracy. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's not yeah. two senators. It's 52, because we know you don't have 50 votes on one side of the aisle. You know, this has one of the, been, been one of the great things about uh, the Trump era, uh, which I kind of believe we're still in, is that the clarity. It, it, you know, they just out themselves. You know, it, it's not about um, democracy. It's not about uh, the, the will of the electorate. It's about power. And and they just, they expose themselves constantly as, well, but this is about power. We have the power, and there are two people who are not on board with our power. Well, there's the other 50 senators who are on board with that either, which equals 52, uh, more than 48. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, have the, you don't have the votes for either of those bills. Right. Not only do you not have them in the Senate, you don't have them in the House. Right. Although it is funny because it's his compatriots, uh, Bernie Sanders compatriots, who are, are most recalcitrant <laughs> against. So it, it's not even um, a, a party line vote. Uh, it, it's the squad and their environs who are. No, no, no. We're not. We want that three and a half trillion. Yeah. Okay. And and if we don't get it, nobody gets anything. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> I love this. That's your position. <laughs> okay. Great. Um, but you know they're talking about what three and a half trillion when we're already twenty eight trillion in debt. Yeah. Now, now to by be the fair, way, by is... the way, we are now in debt. We have a higher indebtedness ratio now than we had in 1945 at the conclusion of World War II. That's right. Although, it, I, I think that was all publicly held debt, was it Was it not? What, what was the ratio? Yeah, well, that was all publicly held debt. Right now, the only thing that's keeping us afloat, I think, is the fact that the, the Fed is holding $8 trillion of that debt. Yeah. <laughs> and... We're not getting into that again, but no, um, <laughs> that is an odd situation. But they can't release it. I mean, they they they, they cannot. 
sell that debt back in the in, in the bond market. They can't do it. I mean, we. I mean, that's we already got inflation. Interest rates would go through the. Well, we wouldn't have to worry about inflation because interest rates would go through the freaking roof, and the entire economy would shudder to a halt. Yeah, and well, we wouldn't be able I, to borrow I, I, another dollar. I say we wouldn't have to worry about inflation, but I remember the nineteen seventies. Yeah. When we had stagflation, no economic growth and inflation, which the Keynesians assured me we would never have. But we didn't have the Fed selling off, uh, you know, $8 trillion of notes at the same time and just like flooding the market with money. Yeah, because yields would just go through the roof if they did that. Oh, and by the way, if we ever go back to the historical uh, 6% rate of the 10-year Treasury, down you know, up from its historic lows right now. You know, I used to say with the size of the federal budget that it, it would actually add $800 billion, uh, to debt service every year. Um, that figure is looking like more like a trillion. A trillion dollars yeah. a year just in debt service now if um, if yields go back up to, historical, to historically yeah. average rates. Yeah. And right now they're, what, zero? Yeah, next thing, next thing to it. Um, so, you know, but even with, even with, uh, if we take out the twenty-eight, if we take out the eight billion, it still puts us at over a hundred percent debt to GDP ratio. So even if we take that eight trillion out that the Fed is holding, it puts us at a hundred percent. If we, if we add that into the public debt, and I, I guess it's not in the public debt because the Fed is holding it. I, okay. Uh, again, that's a thorny question we don't even want to address right now. Um, all right, fine, but uh, if, if we add that eight trillion back in, now we're at like a hundred and thirty or something, hundred and thirty percent of GDP, and and that's not even counting. Well, we're no, we're we're never going to live up to it, but um, you know the the unfunded, uh, you know, from now to what. Uh, 2075 let's just say uh you know our unfunded uh social security payments and by the way nobody payments and nobody even uh, knows what those social security payments are by the way um as, as far as we know it could be i mean it depends on how long people live uh I right guess. But I mean, we could be looking at and the COVID yeah. may take care of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we could be looking at anywhere from fifty to ninety trillion dollars in unfunded obligation. I've heard it seen more closer to the hundred and fifty. But yeah, I mean, either way, we don't have that money, and I, I, I the way GDP is going, um. I, I I don't see us making it up on volume. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by As the way, that reminds me. Us. This week, um, initial jobless claims rose unexpectedly. Yeah. And there's still eight million jobs. Actually, I think there's nine million jobs now uh, that are they can't fill. And this is after. So uh, what? It was a week ago or so that the extra $300 a month uh, ended and we're still aren't getting people going back into the job market. No matter if we have, well, now some of this is because we're firing people for uh, not getting the vaccine. Yeah, that's true. 
So, I mean, that, that's a, a good portion. And this is the part that really kills me. We already have had a shortage of RNs, uh, nurses in general, um, even doctors, uh, for the last like 20, 25 years, it's, it's been hard to fulfill or or fill those positions. And now we're going to fire people in the middle of uh, an alleged pandemic. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And as we fire them, like in New York, well, we're just going to replace them with the national guard. Right. Right. (laughs) So, Okay, that solves problem A. Oh, and those people who got fired don't get uh, unemployment benefits. Of course not, because they didn't comply. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be punished. By the way, who's going to be doing the jobs that the National Guard people uh, were doing before you called them back into service? Because now they're not at their jobs. That's exactly right. Well, I mean, it's not like we're worried about defending the border. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know what it's going to take to get people to wake up to see that things are just going about as badly as they can, and we need to turn around. We are financially on the brink of a precipice that is going to make 2008 look like a huge nothing burger. We're not even going to, hell, it may make 1929 look like a huge nothing burger. Well, let's face it. 2008 was a huge nothing burger. It, and it would have been if we had let the, the, the companies fail. Let the banks fail. You know, I mean, yes. I hate to go back and, 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 and go back to a 12-year-old blog post that we all <laughs> wrote. But the way to fix that was to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pump money into the FDIC so that when these banks fail – we can just ensure that all of the depositors are fully paid back. Forget the right. $10,000 uh, for the FDIC and the $100,000 for the FSLIC. We'll just make all of the depositors whole. Right. Shareholders, that, bank executives. It would have cost you guys us screwed. a fraction of what it costs to bail out the banks. Now, yes, uh, some of those banks um, did survive. Uh, not all of them. And yeah, we got some reparations from some of them. Uh, Bear Stearns. Yeah, we got like what? A couple billion dollars out of them. I mean, it, it didn't even come close to, to rectifying. And it screwed up the entire banking system uh, to the point where, and I, and I almost think this was the point, that uh, community banks, uh, local banks, regional banks, got bought up by the thousands. Oh, yeah. I defy you to go take a drive around town and find a local bank. I can't. I can find Bank of America. I can find Wells Fargo. I can find Chase. But, you know, Bob's first state bank or Bob's first national bank, they're gone. They're dead as fried chicken. Yep. Because they could not pass the stress tests. And you almost kind of think that, well, maybe that was purposeful. <laughs> I mean, and look, I don't want to get into a long argument about that. And not be an argument, but a long discussion about that. Um, the point being that, that 
the federal government does not manage these things in our interests. It manages them for their benefactors' interests. And let's face it, the big banks, I mean, well, we talked about Goldman Sachs. You know, uh, we'd go a lot further than that. Um, These are people who are on the inside. They get special treatment. And we've seen that uh, across the board. Um, Why isn't Hillary Clinton in jail? Why wasn't she ever even indicted? Maybe she's going to get indicted. uh, You know, a little bit of a segue. We can get into the Durham stuff. Um, You know, why aren't any of these people who have screwed over Americans uh, constantly, why aren't they held responsible ever? Why isn't uh, General Milley, uh, why has he not been uh, uh, forced out of his position? Why hasn't Lloyd Austin? Uh, You know, because they live on a different plane than us regulars. You know, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller is in the brig. Well, and, you know, OK, let's, let's do comments. Number one, um, if we don't know who, as you just said, the financial system is being run by the government for the privilege of their benefactors, then I have to answer, who is the medical system being run for the benefit of? So yeah. point number one, point number two, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. Now, Colonel Scheller basically gave up his career by making that one video demanding accountability from military leaders. And he'd put in his resignation. He was ready to go. Now, it gets a little bit more complicated. Because after he did that initial video, he was called up in front of his CO, he was relieved of command, and was told, do not make any more social media posts uh, uh, at all. You are being gagged. Uh, until presumably until we can get you out of here. And that son of a bitch went home, got his video camera out and said, you know, this is all awful. This is horrible. The military is bad. Our society is crumbling. And, you know, they say you need a revolution in every generation, and I'm ready to lead this one. Okay. When military officers, A, in defiance of a lawful order, go out and start talking about how we need a revolution and I'm ready to lead it, you're just talking yourself into jail. And yeah, that's exactly I, I, I don't what he did. Yeah, look, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I put him in the brig. Eh, I, I think maybe that's an overreaction. Uh, um, well, wait a but, second. He was ordered not to do that. He went out and kept making social media posts. He's, he's, in, he's in jail now in pretrial confinement pending an Article 32 hearing, which, by the way, ain't going to go his way. No, and he's going to be court-martialed. He wanted he to be will. court-martialed. He got it. All he had to do after he made that initial thing was keep his mouth shut. I believe he was asking for 30 days. Because he fulfilled his obligation, right? He could resign. And so he set his resignation date. All he had to do was keep his mouth shut until his resignation date. Get that DD Form 214, and you can go on YouTube and say everything that you want. But he couldn't keep his mouth shut, and he couldn't obey the order not to make social media posts. Sorry, he was asking for a court-martial. And guess what? Be careful what you ask for. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I really don't disagree with that. Uh, and I don't think 
I don't think Scheller uh, anticipated anything different. I, I mean, I think he's going out of his way to make a statement. And frankly, more power to him. Um, uh, you know, long road to hoe. Uh, but I, I mean, I think putting him in the brig is a bit harsh but at the same time he knew i knew and i'm not even a military guy i knew he was going to suffer consequences and not just from a political sense just just from basic uh ucmj i mean that's what's going to happen now what they Uh, did what the military did right after his initial statement demanding accountability putting him up for a mental health evaluation that was stupid yeah. What they should have just done is say, sure, Colonel Scheller, we're going to relieve you of command. You knew we were going to do that. Put in your resignation papers. You can resign. You can walk. You can walk away. I don't know you anything. You don't know me anything. And we're done. But right. for whatever reason, he was unwilling to do that. Uh, does he know what he's doing? Uh, I don't know. Um, but he certainly he put sort himself reminds in, a, me of, in a lot of trouble. Well, yeah, he, he sort of reminds me of... Uh, What's the Irish guy, British guy, um, Tommy, um, I know it's not his real name, Tommy, you know who I'm talking about, who gets arrested all the time. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, okay, I, yeah, I know who you're talking about, the, the, yeah, I can't think of his last name. Tommy it's something. Sean something is his real name, Tommy Robinson. Yeah, that's it, Tommy Robinson. Uh, like he he shoves himself into these positions uh, to make a point. Uh, I mean, I, I I think the harsh way is is to say that he's martyring himself, and I, mean, I don't think that's an an accurate way of putting it either. But I kind of see a similarity there. That Scheller is basically martyring himself because he is trying to make a big point. Um, I, you know, whether I agree with him or I, I don't, um, I, I do agree that the military system, the UCMJ, is not forgiving. There's no wiggle room. And I, I think that he was quite well aware uh, of what he was getting himself into. If he gets himself into that willingly, and I haven't heard him complain. I haven't heard him bitch or moan about any of this. No, he uh, did raise a million dollars on a GoFundMe for his legal defense. Well, okay, good. Good for him. Um, I, good. You know, I, I think that something does need to be done. And if that's the way it needs to be done, you know what? I applaud him for going through uh, the awful things he's going to go through uh, to make a really important point that our military leaders up at the top are overly protected. And I think Millie, I think Austin, I think Miller uh, should have in all good conscience uh stepped aside by now 
Well, I suspect he's going to. I suspect he's going to make those arguments at his court martial, and he's going to get it on the record. Yep. And then he's going to won't be, do him any good. Then but. he's going to be reduced <laughs> to the lowest enlisted grade, uh, given a bad conduct discharge, and will spend perhaps even some amount of time in in federal prison. He may, and and that may be his penance, uh, but I I do applaud him for exposing something that's important in that our military has become way too politicized. And this is something I mean, both you and Bruce have brought up for years. Uh, This isn't sustainable because if you're going to bring up people through the ranks who have capability, leadership, and uh you know actual know-how you can't have people at the top who are more concerned about the politics of everything than actually doing their job and their job is to kill people and break things period right well he's not the only marine that is in the news um this week donald trump had a rally yeah, right. And uh, he called up Lance Corporal Hunter Clark onto the stage and said, Lance Corporal Hunter Clark is the, baby the, guy savior. That, the, the guy that saved the baby. And, and now Lance Corporal Clark was in civilian clothes. Um, he said, yes, I am the person who did that. That may be the greatest thing I've done at my, in my life, and I wish you all well, and you know, I love this country. And that was it. That was his, his whole statement. Well, he was immediately put under investigation by the Marine Corps for appearing at that rally. Um, you know, that gets us into a really gray area of military law about what you can do on your own time in terms of political activity. Um, is Donald Trump a political candidate? No, he is a former president. Uh, is appearing at his rally a political statement? Uh, he didn't make a political statement, so it's just his mere presence there and his mere presence on stage. Is that is that a violation of the UCMJ? I'm, I'm not sure I know. What I did find interesting is the Marine Corps said, yep, we've got Lance Corporal Clark under investigation for violating the UCMJ. Oh, and by the way, he's not the guy that rescued that baby either. No, is that what they said? Yeah. So the Marine Corps says that Hunter Clark isn't the Marine in that photo rescuing the baby. So, okay. What difference yeah, does it make? Again, that? that's another one that I go, okay. So, <laughs> so, so now I'm curious as to why he got up on that stage and said, this was, may have been the greatest thing I've done in my life. Well, you know, they said the same thing about, um, what's his face? Riley, uh, the guy that, uh, allegedly was the, the guy that shot Osama bin Laden. Right. They they said the exact same thing. Well, no, he wasn't actually the person who shot him. Now, you know, Riley has been quite insistent that no, 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 I was the guy that got him. That was me. Um, and 
there hasn't been a great deal of pushback against that, but, and, 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 you know, and I don't know if that was the guy that saved the baby or not. And I also don't know why he would be investigated for going up there and just talking outside of uniform, but you know, the military is a strange creature. Uh, I will say that. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there are clear lines. Had he shown up there in uniform, that would have been, Oh yeah. That would have been a big deal. That would have been a definite no, no. So, you know, we all know there are things that we can't do, but, uh, I, on the other hand, I do remember, uh, back in the 1992 election, I checked with the Jag to be sure that I could, um, put political bumper stickers on my car just in case. Well, that was probably smart because just wanted to be sure I had command sign off on that. Yeah. Well, especially if I mean, you might be wearing uniform when you go on base or something. Yeah. So, you know, they said, yeah, it's your POV. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Okay. Stickers on. But you didn't show up at a rally. <laughs> no, no, I had, I had a little more on the ball than that. I, so I, I knew that there were some lines that I had better not cross. All right, well, look, Michael, uh, I think that's going to do it for us uh, tonight. I uh, uh, have to announce we're not going to be here next week because neither Michael or Bruce can make it next week, but uh, we should be back the week after that. Michael, you have a great week. We'll talk to you later. You too. All right, bye. You've been listening to Observations Q&O podcast for Friday, the 1st of October, 2021. On behalf of Michael and Bruce, this is Dale Frank saying thanks for listening. We hope you'll do it again soon. Until the next time, have a great couple of weeks, everybody. So long. Mm-hmm.